Ooh, God is good. Amen. 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 I am every week excited to stand here with you and to open up God's Word. I ask you to take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 18. We are making progress. We're at Exodus chapter 18 as we walk our way together through this great book of Exodus. If you're turning to Exodus chapter 18, you want to use that pew Bible in front of you. It is on page 81 in the pew Bible. I have a tub at my home, and I'm. so many of you are going to line up to want to fix what I'm getting ready to talk about. It's okay. I had a lot of people when I talked two or three weeks ago about my flat tire. They're going, Jeff, did you really have a flat tire? I said, yes. I kept that flat tire for two days because I couldn't find a place to change it. Who was? But uh, So it's not just an example that I'm using. These are real life things. I think that's the only way that I know how to process what God is doing in my life is to use the things that he places around me. But I have a tub, faucet, that has a drip. Does anybody currently have something in your house that's dripping right now besides me? Okay. The rest of you, just keep an ear open, okay? And it's been there for a little while, and every time someone stays with us, you see this place where this tub is, it's upstairs. It's not a, a bathroom that we use very often. But every time we've had people come and stay with us, and we've had three different sets of people stay with us over the last six weeks or so, they will routinely come down and go, did you know that you have a faucet that's dripping? And I go, yes, yes, I do. And I just keep meaning to get to that. So did you know that a faucet that drips once per second will drip 31,536,000 times in a year? Now, my very scientific research tells me that about 10,000 Drips equals a gallon. That would mean that a small leak, one that drips one drop every second, 24 hours a day for a year, would waste about 3,154 gallons of water or nine gallons of water every single day. Not only is this wasteful, you see, water is a precious life-maintaining resource it can also become very expensive if not taken care of. If you don't believe me, then when that flapper in your toilet begins to not stop and it just runs like 24-7, just wait for your water bill. It's going to be a big one. Now, while you might be thinking right now, do I have any faucets dripping? I would encourage you to go home today and check it out. And today we're going to talk about a very, another very large problem. But before I do that, you know that this problem, I had my reason in my hand, but this problem of dripping, it's very fixable. You can't see this, and the camera people aren't going to get there quick enough before I do it, but this is the gasket. It's a little rubber gasket. You know, it costs next to nothing, and it's very easy to fix. And most of the time when you have a drip, you need a gasket replaced. Easy, simple fix. It's cheap, typically easy to fix and very effective. Sometimes something this small, something this simple can do that much good. 
So think about that as we talk through Scripture about another problem that can be easily treated. I ask you to stand with me as we read together from Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to read the first 12 verses of Exodus chapter 18. It says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now when, now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being, and then they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. Now, let me give you a quick summary of what's happening here because in verses 1 through 6, the summary is, is, is pretty uh, quick. Today, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, as you haven't picked that up with the four times we've said it in those verses, Returns. Now, we were introduced to Jethro in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15. As you know, Moses, when he was guilty of murdering a man, went into the wilderness, helped these seven sisters at the well who were being mistreated with the water. They went home and told their dad, Jethro, all about this man who helped them. He said, well, go back and bring him here. And they went back and they brought Moses back, and he became a part of their family for 40 years. Jethro had known Moses, and Zipporah, his daughter, became Moses' wife, and they had two sons, of which we see in Scripture right there, their names. And so we have known Jethro for a while. Now, historical records are unclear. I dug a little bit this way and a little bit that way this week just to find out what I could about Jethro, and there's a lot of mixed results out there about Jethro, so I'm not going to claim that I know exactly all of this. I'm just going to stick to the Scripture at hand and walk through that. But historical records are unclear if Jethro was a priest of God or a priest of the Midian, Midian or the Midianites. Now, history shows that the people in Midian were not a God-following people. They were a Gentile people outside of the plan of God. So it makes reasonable sense to me as God is moving in me as I'm reading and, and, and teaching me and challenging me that there is a high chance that Jethro was a priest of Midian and he therefore offered, and we'll get to some more information in a minute, he offered sacrifices to many, many gods, not just the true God that we 
know and are here today because we separate. So in today's terms, I don't know if Jethro is saved or not saved at the moment that we get to be reintroduced to him at this time. In Exodus chapter 4, we studied that Moses and Zipporah, on their way back to Egypt, ran into some difficulties, and it's at this time most people believe that Moses said, Zipporah, you take the boys and go back to live with your dad for a while. I'm going to go to Egypt, and we're going to work on this delivering the Israelites from Egypt thing, and then I will catch back up with you. So Moses comes before Pharaoh and delivers Israel from Egypt. Jethro, in these first six verses, is credited with doing two things. I just want to point that out to you. In verse 1, Jethro had heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel. Now, Midian, which is where Moses ran to for the first, after the first 40 years in Egypt, then he was in the wilderness running for 40 years, and he ran to Midian. That's how he met Jethro and his wife-to-be and his grandchildren, that, or, or Jethro's grandchildren to come. Midian, based upon my very scientific ruler in the map that I have decided to use one single map for everything that I'm using, Midian and Egypt are about 250 miles apart. Midian is about 125 miles from where Israel currently is in their journey as they are nearing Mount Sinai. But Scripture says that Jethro had heard all about what God had done in Egypt. Church, I just think that's really cool. Here is a man that is 250 miles from where it happened, 125 miles from where the people are, but yet he has heard about what God has done. Now, we can talk about how that happened a number of different ways. I think one of the simplest ways in my mind to work it out is that Moses, because his family was in Midian, had continued to send text messages, FaceTime Zipporah and the boys and see them, or at least he had sent messengers to keep them updated with what's going on. That's one way. Or perhaps we already know that they have fought the battle uh, with the Amalekites and they won that, and God's already told us in Scripture that that's going to echo through the area that by the time the children of Israel get to the promised land, people are already going to be fearful of them, and we know it's true because when they get to Jericho, Scripture teaches that the people already heard about God and know what he's doing. So I just think it's really cool that Jethro had heard all about God had done, and it's not through Zipporah, and it's not through his grandsons, and Moses, as we know what Moses has been doing all the time, but word had gotten around. That means, church, somebody's talking. Somebody's talking about God. Somebody's taking the time to tell somebody else who told somebody else who told somebody else about the goodness of God. Amen? Someone is reporting about God. I just think it's really cool that Jethro had heard all of the good things that God had been doing. Number two, well, let me ask before I go to number two, ask you this caveat. If the world only heard about God from your lips, they don't get the benefit of hearing from me They don't get to be able to go online. They don't get to talk to anybody else. They just know what they know about who God is from your lips. What do they know about God? If you're not talking about the goodness of God, there's a great opportunity that there is somebody who does not know about the goodness of God. 
Now, the second thing Jethro's credited with, look at verse five, it says, Jethro had told Moses he is bringing his family to him in the wilderness. Again, this is where the messenger thing is reinforced because somebody, Jethro told somebody to go tell Moses that I'm going to meet you at Mount Sinai with your family. Reinforces the messenger process of going on. Now, speaking about the word messenger, this week, I was a messenger. This week, I attended the annual Southern Baptist Convention meetings in Nashville, Tennessee. They meet every year except last year. It's the 163rd year that they have met. I went to represent you. I wanted to learn about the gospel efforts of our entities. There are many entities that reside under the Southern Baptist Convention umbrella. I went to understand the issues that are impacting our denomination. I went to determine how we, First Baptist Church Shelbyville, can support, encourage, help, and lead in the efforts of our denomination. I will find ways in the days and the weeks ahead to inform you of the opportunities that I heard and what I think we can do. I probably will start with that 10 minutes I've been giving you free every Wednesday night. I'm probably going to start taking that minutes and giving you an update. But I will keep you informed as to what's going on. But this week, I was a messenger, which means that I was a... Do you know if you were not a messenger, you were not allowed to be in certain meetings and you were not allowed to vote on certain topics, on any topic, actually, if you're not a messenger. They were really important about this. They said, sign in. I had signed in officially. I had a code. I could sign in to be a messenger. And then they give you this ballot and you sign in on the ballot and said, don't lose that because once you lose your ballots, we can't replace them. You don't have any impact unless you are a faithful messenger. Now, I'll tell you more about it, but I want to read one thing to you that's just stuck with me because there were updates and updates. This is the book of reports. And for most people, including me at times, this is a very challenging book to read, not because it's hard, but because it's, it's just reports. But let me read to you from the International Mission Board a section from their report on page 81 and 82. I just want to read this to you to set some context here. This is the president of uh, the International Mission Board, Mr. Uh, Dr. Paul Chitwood, saying this. He says, as a result of your financial gifts and your unwavering prayer support, because you gave, because you prayed, because you sent your family and friends, it is my honor to report that 535,000 people heard a gospel witness last year from IMB missionaries. 89,325 people became believers committing to follow Jesus Christ as their Savior. 47,929 people followed through with believers' baptism. 12,368 new churches were planted in areas around the world, and it's reported that 174,393 people, not missionaries, are in ongoing Bible study every single week because of the work of the International Mission Board, and it's 3,631 missionaries currently around the world. But here it goes. But while we rejoice in the advancement we have seen in the gospel, we are sobered by the reality that, catch this, church, 154,937 people die every day without Christ. That's one precious person every two seconds. Goes on to say, he said that uh, it's estimated 
that evangelical Christians share the gospel about 275,000 times around the world each week. But 215,000 people are born into this world every day. You see that the gap of who's hearing about God is widening, right? 154,937 people die every single day. Two people every second. Church, let that soak in for just a second. You ever played this game? One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi. That's how we count in games, right? Because that's supposed to be seconds. Do you know that in the time it took me to count to five Mississippi, if this statistic is correct, and I believe that it is, 10 people died without Jesus. Just like that. Drip, 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 drip. And if this were my house and my faucet, I've done nothing. Drip, drip, drip. Look at verse seven. Tells us that Jethro and the family arrived. Now, this is probably a huge family reunion time. But God's word in these verses focuses on Jethro and Moses. Verse seven says that Moses goes out to meet Jethro, greeted him sincerely, and that they made small talk for a minute. So you notice how Scripture says they asked how each other was. You know, we get there, don't we? Isn't that how your conversations go? Hey, how are you? And then the conversations typically end. So many times you ask people, hey, how are you? But you don't even stop. You never even get to hear the answer that they would give you. Most people don't even give that answer because the words, how are you, have become just symbolic for, I don't care. I just walk past you. Hey, how are you? And you just keep on going. You guys know this is true. You, when somebody says, hey, how are you? You don't go, well, let me tell you. Because you know they're gonna move on. And so we've become this group of people in the world that feel like we're talking, but we're not saying anything. But this happens between Jethro and Moses in the beginning. I just thought it was awesome too. I just wanna catch you Make sure you don't miss this. God, in his infinite knowledge and sovereignty, brought us to this passage on Father's Day. I just want us, don't miss this. I read this and I'm going, God, you are cool. This is Father's Day and we're getting to talk about a father-son relationship. I just think that's pretty awesome. Hey, how you doing? Drip, drip. But then Moses, catch this, verse eight. Moses told Jethro all that the Lord had done. Now, Scripture's already told us that Jethro had heard all that the Lord had done. Moses said, I don't care. I'm gonna be faithful to tell him all that the Lord has done. I tell you, I believe 100% certainty that I am able to stand straight before you right now without feeling any pain right now because God gave me the grace this morning so that I would stand here this morning and tell you all that God had done. I believe that. I almost missed that this morning. And then God said, don't you forget I did that. Tell people, tell people, 
tell people, tell people. Doesn't matter if you think they've heard it or not. Tell people. And it says in verse eight that Moses tells Jethro all that the Lord has done. Now, verse eight says that this included what happened in Egypt. Boy, what a conversation they must have had. And what challenges they faced along the way. And you notice what Moses focused on? He could have said, Jethro, this is the most hard-headed group of people I have ever met in my life. Can I tell you how much they complain? Can I tell you how much they gripe? Can I tell you that nothing is good enough for them? Moses didn't do that. You know what Scripture said Moses did? He told his father-in-law all that God had done and how faithful God had been, both in Egypt and since. And do you know what? If we, the Rasnick family, or if we, the First Baptist family, or if we, the Southern Baptist Convention family, if we don't figure out how to get away from complaining and griping and sniping at each other and get back to what God has done, we will never see this world change for Jesus. Yes. It's an important thing, church. We've got to stop talking about the things that nobody cares about. We've got to make sure that we say, how, how are you, that we really care, and then we need to quickly get to the fact, can I tell you about what God has done? That's what we've been designed to do. Moses said, God's been faithful and he's delivered us. Now stop for just a moment. What has God done for you? I just gave myself a moment. I wrote these things down. I will never get through this without crying, but you don't expect me to anymore, so it's okay. He gives me life, both in this moment as I breathe, and he gives me eternal life through his son, Jesus, whom he sent to redeem me. A lost sinner separated from God. Drip, drip, drip. He has shown me mercy and grace. He has given me his Holy Spirit. He has given me my wife, my children, whom I include Laura as one of my children, and Addie. He has placed a call on my life, and he has promised, promised, church, to be with me, to lead me, to help me, to hear me, to love me, always. God has done a lot for me more than I can ever take time to recall and recount. Drip, drip, drip. But you know what God's word says right here? Give it a try anyway. You might not be able to say all that God is, but give it a try, church. Tell people what God has done. Share with people what God has done. Look at Jethro's response, verse nine. It says that he, now I want you to catch these four things. He rejoiced for all the good done by the Lord. You know, it would have been real easy for Moses to sit there in this tent where nobody else is around and go, let me tell you what God's been letting me do. Let me tell you about that time I smacked the rock. Let me tell you what happened when I held that rod. No, Moses doesn't do that. He says, God did all of this. And if there is anything in your life that is good, it is because of God. Joseph, I mean, Jethro's response, he rejoiced for all the good done by the Lord, recognition. You know, so many times we don't take time to recognize. It's one of the number one problems in workplaces these days is recognition. It's one of the number one things 
that we understand in this world is recognition, but Jethro, he understood. He said, the Lord did that. Verse 10 said that because he recognized what the Lord had done, verse 10 says that he blessed the Lord. Church, that's praise. Now, we've talked about that a few weeks ago and how we need to praise more and praise more. Verse 11, recognition turned into praise. Verse 11 says that praise turned into Jethro making a statement of faith. Do you see what he says? Now I know. Now I know. Now, I read Scripture, and I think it's the inerrant, purpose-filled Word of God given to me to help me understand God. And when I see the words, now I know, that means prior to now, I did not know. Do you know that the moment before I accepted Jesus in my life, I did not know Jesus as my Savior? Do you know the moment before I laid eyes on Angela, I thought I was going to be alone forever? You know, the moment we tried for years to have a child, and in one moment we didn't, and in the next moment we were expecting a baby. Moments, church, change lives. And in this moment, Jethro says, now, now, I believe. Now I know. I once was blind, but now I see. Recognition, praise faith. And look at verse 12. He sacrificed before the Lord. He made a commitment, a commitment. Now, what started all of these things in Jethro? All of these actions that followed, these four things, what started it? I just want to take you back to verse 8. Moses told him all the things that God had done. Church, that testimony, all the things that God had done, it's a gasket. You know how simple it is? Do you know that Moses did not have to have 13 theological degrees to be able to share what God had done in his life? Drip, drip, drip. Do you know that your ability to share with people what God has done is irrefutable because it's your testimony? Drip. Drip, drip. But when we hold it in, when we stick it in our pocket, when we don't use it, it just keeps dripping. People keep dying apart from Jesus. All because we won't take time to share what God has done. Church, it's not about degrees. It's not about all these things that you think you have to become. You know what you have to become? You have to become a child of God. And when you become a child of God and recognize what God has done for you, then you have something to share about. You can share your testimony. Did you know that you are called to be a messenger? Now, not to the Southern Baptist annual meeting, and if you're ever interested in doing that, you see me. It's 24 of the most painful hours a bat can have in a chair. But it's an important thing to do at times. But you are called to be a messenger You see, Jesus called you to be a messenger in Matthew chapter 28. I just want to read these verses to you. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I just, I was stunned when I just read the words, go, therefore. You know what the word therefore means? We've talked about it before. Therefore means what's happened before. So you are supposed to go because of what's happened to you before. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you've got a great before. And because you have a before, you're called to go. You're called to go, and you're called to share what God has done in your life. Because you've been saved, set free, delivered from sin and death, because you have been saved, you are called to go and be a messenger, to tell others, God says, what I have done for you. Church, the Great Commission is not my responsibility. The Great Commission is your responsibility and my responsibility. Every single one of us are called to go, therefore. What are you investing your time in? Are you investing your time in sharing the gospel, being a messenger, or something else? Now, one of the things that the Southern Baptists just reaffirmed as we met together, and I think it's always great to reaffirm, that the Bible is the perfect, infallible, revealed word of God and is intended to be the absolute authority in our lives. Church, if you don't believe that, you need to start doing some thinking. Let the Spirit of God, this word of God is so important and valuable. It's also because the gospel is primary in the word of God from the beginning to the end. It's all about the gospel. Our call to the gospel as an individual, as a family, and as a church should drive everything we do, everything we plan, everything we give, everything we pray should be that. So I want to intentionally put you at a crossroads in your life. You know what a crossroad is, right? It's like a four-way stop, and you got to decide which way you're going to go. See, it was put to me this time, earlier this week, by one of the speakers. They said, is being a Christian a cultural thing for you? Something that you do that's an affinity group, that's where your friends are, that's what you like to do, that's what you're used to doing? Cultural thing? Or is being a Christian your identity and it drives everything you do? Scripture says that the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4 through 4, it's nothing more complex than this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which you stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Church, that is the gospel. And do you know that if you take the gospel and your testimony of what God has done for you, it's so simple. But if we don't do it, then the echoes of drip, 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 and you're going, Jeff, please stop that. I get it. But God is saying, church, 
Please stop that. And you know how you stop it? Tell all about what God has done. I'm gonna close with a statement and a story. Church, the gospel is too precious and the message is too urgent for us not to take it up today. I recently heard a story, it was quoted, it was, it was used by one of the pastors some years ago about Albert Einstein. He was on a train bound for New York City. He says, as the ticket taker came walking through the car, Einstein reached into his pocket to retrieve his ticket, but he could not find it anywhere, and he frantically searched his coat pockets, turned his pant pockets inside out, but couldn't produce the ticket. The ticket ticker said, don't worry, Mr. Einstein. We all know who you are. Forget about it. And 20 minutes later, the ticket taker came back through the car, and by this time, Einstein was on the floor looking everywhere for his lost ticket. Again, the ticket taker, ticket taker tried to reassure Mr. Einstein by saying, I told you not to worry about the lost ticket. We trust that you purchased one, and that's good enough for us. And Einstein looked up at the railroad employee and said, young man, this isn't about a trust, but of direction. I need to find the ticket because I have forgotten where I am going. Church, have you forgotten where you're going?